Welcome to Life on the Hill. This podcast is intended for Hamilton College students in the Hamilton College community to stay up to date on things that are going on around campus and to hear the voices of people committed to the success of Hamilton College students. My name is Travis Hill and I'm the host of this program. If you've ever listened to the podcast before, you will know that I don't typically editorialize or have any specific commentary outside of the interview itself. That said, nothing about this year has been typical, and so I feel that it's worthwhile to take a few minutes and do an introduction to our first episode of the semester. An incredible amount of work has been done by a whole variety of people on campus in preparation for students' return to the Hill. There's no way for me to acknowledge everyone and all the wonderful work that's been done, but I do feel it's necessary to highlight a handful of examples. Senior staff and the COVID-19 task force have worked days, nights, weekends since campus went to remote learning in the spring in preparation for this moment of having students back on the Hill. Our admissions and financial aid staff pivoted just as we were preparing to support our accepted students as they made their decisions and became the class of 2024 and our new transfer students. Facilities management and campus safety never left. They stayed on campus, took care of buildings, kept spaces clean, supported our students that stayed through, and kept campus safe. Residential Life made plan after plan after plan in order to make housing be as safe and strategic as possible. Tessa Shafalo and an expanded orientation team certainly has done the same. Lucy Burke and the events office have come together to help make our testing plan possible. And in partnership with us, Student Assembly has done some excellent work this summer helping give student voice to our plans and help with our messaging about the importance of the expectations of what this year will bring. On Monday, for a new student move-in, as I drove up the hill, I saw the orientation leaders six feet apart, masks on, full of enthusiasm, dancing the day away with their cardboard signs, and it made me so happy. I honestly didn't expect it to feel as normal as it did, and it felt great. The students that have come to campus already are taking this really seriously, and they're doing a nice job. We can do this. It's not going to be easy, but we can do this together, and we need to do this together. It's the only way it'll work. So thank you in advance for all the time and energy you've put into thinking about how you will abide by these guidelines. I'm very proud to be part of this community with you. There's one more person that I need to acknowledge their great work that they've done in preparation for bringing everyone back to campus, and that is the person that I'll be interviewing in this podcast episode. Barb Flutie, the director of the Health Center. Barb has worked nonstop to stay up to date on the cusp of the best information possible as this pandemic has evolved. She has helped inform the plans and protocols that will guide our behavior throughout the fall. And in this episode, she will outline, in her own words, many of those plans and tips for success. So please enjoy this episode with Barb Flutie, Director of the Health Center. Thanks for joining me, Barb. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to talk with you, Travis. Agreed. So there's a lot going on, but let's start from a maybe more simple place of what brought you to Hamilton? What brought me to Hamilton? I got a really good opportunity to come here on a helping basis. So it was a part-time per diem kind of gig and I loved it. I connected with the people. I really enjoyed the population 
And the stars aligned in a way that after I left, I got a call and said, hey, we've got a more permanent position in opening up there. Would you be interested? And so I jumped on it. And it just was really, for me, a really fortunate event for timing and uh, just everything lining up in my life at that point. You know, I, I think the funny thing is, I applied here and I did get accepted as an undergrad, <laughs> really? but I, I chose know. a different path. Yeah. It all worked out. I still got myself up on the hill. So I think that's pretty, pretty neat way to eventually get here. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The yeah. path was a little bit more winding, but here you yeah. are. We're glad yeah. to have you. So obviously your job is no easy task in even typical circumstances, but it has gotten exponentially more complicated in this, this 2020 calendar year. Let's start from the beginning. How have you kind of tried to keep track and how have things evolved for you since January when this all started? Yeah, good question. Coronavirus sure took us all by surprise. I was aware of it in January. You know, I remember picking up bits on just lay news and things being shared amongst my coworkers. Did you hear about this? And are you following that? And obviously it just evolved over time. You know, I've, I've tried to really keep current with a variety of sources because it's really hard. You know, you want to know your source. You want to know you're getting good information and it's changing so dang fast that it can be challenging on, on good days. Trying to keep things straight between CDC and NIH and New York State Department of Health. I've been attending New York State Department of Health webinars for providers regularly, weekly, when they were happening weekly, bi-weekly now that they have spaced out a bit. You know, I'm going to participate in a COVID summit with ACHA. I've been connecting with peers locally and, you know, through NESCAC and even downstate and just trying to constantly be in contact with people in similar situations so that we can share tidbits and vital stuff and approaches to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page and sharing what we need to know in the moment and keep on top of things. That's great. That makes sense. I think one of the things that feels like it makes this more complicated is not only is this a moving target on our understanding of what this virus actually is and does, but also how it's become political, unfortunately. How do you go about parsing out what feels like reliable information and what might not be? Yeah, I like to just really try to keep things subjective and scientific. Whether people agree or not, we've developed science that we did not have in March, but we've changed to later. All agree that masks make a difference. And so, you know, I think over time there's been proof to show that this is important and it is important that people buy in. I think it's unfortunate that this pandemic has been politicized because it certainly doesn't help keep people safe or move our country forward in any fashion. And so it's just for me, it's trying to just really stick with scientific data. I really try to avoid the, the lay press. That helps with my anxiety too. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, but you know, just trying to keep it fact-based and scientific-based and amongst peers who are in similar professions, just to make sure that, you know, it's the right approach. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So you've been talking about what the student experience and expectations and why consistently now. So 
let's start with kind of your go-to spiel about what students should expect and, and how we would hope that they'll behave. Sure. Well, you know, the reality is this is not going to be a typical year uh, on, on campus. At this point, not much has changed around coronavirus. Right. We know that masks help spread, you know, help contain delivery so that you're not sharing your droplets. We know that it's primarily spread through droplets um, that you come in contact with and you touch your eyes, your nose, your mouth, and it gets in and can, you know, make you sick. We know that physical distancing of six feet or more helps contain things. We know that frequent and thorough hand washing, which helps with a whole lot of other things on top of this, is always a good choice. But, you know, it's, it's concerning because it's not going to be the campus of congregations that people are used to. People aren't going to have the same physical interactions that they've grown to love and expect on a college campus. And it's unfortunate, but it's the reality right now. And so I just hope people understand that for the common good, we're all going to have to make some personal sacrifices around our day-to-day -day interactions in order to keep everyone safe because we value all campus members. And so it's just really going to look and feel different because people are going to have to distance. They're going to have to wear masks a lot. I hope they're hand washing again. I'll just leave that one as a side piece. But it's, it's going to impact social life. It's going to impact athletic participation. It's going to impact a lot of the extracurricular things that, that students and, and staff enjoy and love as part of their regular life. But it, unfortunately, until there's a vaccine that's safe, that's secured, and that's scaled up so that everyone can get it and then distributed, this is going to be the new norm unless things take a dramatic turn for the better. For the current time anyway, is appears to be not that likely. That all makes sense. When this started, I may get this number wrong, so correct me, and I don't even remember what agency had kind of put this out, but I remember hearing early on, probably March and April, that somebody had estimated that for one, every one positive result on a small residential campus, at that time they predicted a number of contacts to be 150, I think. Is that something I'm making up and where did that come from? Uh, there was a Cornell study uh, way back in, I think it was in March or April, and I believe it was 150 contacts for students who were in science-based type of, you know, large lecture hall, 500 people to the classroom, and I think it was slightly smaller for liberal arts, but the numbers are still very large and concerning because, you know, the, the reality is if you can spread it that easy to X number of people and you're trying to stop the spread, that's why we want distancing. That's why we want those things in place. It's all efforts to slow this thing down. We're not going to eradicate it that easy. It's, it's a hearty little bugger, but we're trying to slow it down so that it's not being shared to everybody and, and getting to exponential growth levels, which is what plagued New York city early on when, when it went through its, terrible ordeal in trying to get efforts in place that contain the spread of coronavirus. 
right? And so that's why I bring that number up because all the things and all the plans that we're making is an effort to drive that number down, right? I mean, it's, it's more than that. It's about trying to mitigate risk as much as possible, but part of it is trying to drive that number down as low as possible. So one of the things that I have shared with students when I've had the opportunity to sit down with them and talk about some of the plans and realities is talking about an example of if some population of students, I'll make up a number, 50 students decide, I just miss the Hamilton that I love and left. And I wanna go downtown and throw a part out into the Glen and 50 students have a party where they're not phys keeping physical distance and they're not wearing masks properly. The fallout of that would be very, very dramatic. Am I right? Yes, you're right. And, you know, I think it's hard for people to grasp because there's been a lot of mixed messages in the lay news, in my opinion. And this is just my opinion. But I think it's hard for people to understand the scale. I think that we missed an opportunity in messaging this to people when there was statements being made that somehow young people aren't affected by this and young people don't get sick. Right. That's not true. Young people do get sick. Young people can die from it. To date, there's been 240 cases of multi-inflammatory syndrome related to COVID in pediatric patients. So we're looking at people, I think they gauged it from age nine to 21, but 240 cases in New York state alone, most of them didn't have any underlying chronic medical problems and they had resultant cardiac dysfunction from this. So they ended up with some heart problems. That's scary. Nobody is immune to this. Young people can have bad outcomes just like elderly people. And so that's why it's really important for everyone to take this seriously and understand that even if you have a good outcome, those other 49 people that are at the party with you will not be so lucky. And, you know, if we want to look at the greater good, that's why we're looking to not have these things in place because we want to do our best efforts to keep people as safe as we can. Yeah, and that also goes back to the context piece, right? If for those 50 people, some number of them infect one another, but they come back to campus and they go to use their bathroom, they go to the dining hall, they go to class, they, that's more people who weren't even at the party who will be interacting with people who were and are therefore put at risk potentially if they're not maintaining physical distancing and mask wearing and things that roommates, all those different pieces. You're right. And the scary thing is there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic, but spreading this virus. And again, if you're lucky, I guess you can say for not knowing that you have it, but you certainly don't want to make other people sick. And so that's why testing is important, but it's not the end all be all. And, you know, one of the more important things in my mind is God forbid you test positive. I'm hoping that every individual will be honest and open with those contact tracers and with those people calling to say, yeah, you got to go into isolation now. And this is not ideal. We understand that, but we really need you to be honest so that we can try to break that chain of transmission and we can get all those people that have been exposed into quarantine so that we can really keep close tabs and monitor how everyone's doing 
and, and hopefully stop that, that spread, that transmission to other people before it just continues to snowball. Because to your point, it kind of grows exponentially. It spider webs out. And so what can start as one little simple case can really explode quickly if people aren't careful. That's helpful. I want to jump back to some of the things you just said, but I want to finish this one point, and that is students, 18 to 22-year-olds, so traditional college-age students, may feel like their health, they, they can handle it, right? And you've already talked a little bit about how that's not necessarily true and that that's not necessarily true for your friend or your neighbor or your roommate. But also, you'll be sharing the campus with custodians and with faculty members and with Bon Appetit employees and other employees and, and their families that they go home to and things of that nature. So when we talk about the good of the community, it's not just the students, it's the entire community and vice versa. The faculty and staff need to be doing their part to maintain physical distancing and wearing their face coverings and those sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, this is not a, the students need to do this effort. This is the campus community needs to do this and we are all in this together. And so I hope that everyone fully understands that everyone has a, a role and a responsibility to getting this right because you know it's a big picture and and we want to keep everyone safe but yes there's a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life that will be adversely affected and so we all have to take our part in this seriously in order to be successful thank you for that so let's talk about i guess let's start with symptoms one of the things that i'm worried about is that for any of us in a pre-COVID world, you have a fever, you're not, something feels off, but you have that class you need to get to, you have that meeting you wanna to go to, you, you just shrug it off. How do you want students to approach this symptom tracking and, and what steps they take in the event that they identify any particular symptom or, or think they may? Yeah. Good point. I want every community member to take those symptoms seriously. And yes. I'm hoping that when we're able to get this symptom checker app rolled out, that people will take it seriously and be honest around it. Um, because any symptom, any one symptom could be enough to mean that you have COVID-19. And so the important takeaway in my mind is if you have any symptom, one, you report it to the app responsibly and honestly, but two, you stay put in your room. Certainly, you know, we're gonna have outreach and we're gonna wanna talk to those students and help them through next steps. But, you know, catching things before they continue to escalate is gonna be very important. And so I'm viewing anyone because it's a wide variety of symptoms. They're very vague like the flu and like every other virus on the planet, they're very vague. I'm gonna treat everyone as if it's COVID. And so we're gonna get those types of students tested and into secure situations. And in collaboration with the health department before we say you're good to be released back to campus. I mean, I think we're gonna to have to err on the side of caution always and repeatedly in this COVID world in order to keep campus community as safe as we can. 
And I know that if you're listening to this and you think to yourself, these may, this may feel like counterintuitive, please report because we're going to run on the side of caution and use isolation housing. But that is the way that we stop the spread in our community is that we take every potential case as seriously as possible. So sure. in an effort to help people wrap their minds around what isolation housing looks like, can you describe what that process is? Sure. And let me just back up one second here. I want people to also understand that if you get a runny nose every August because you have seasonal allergies and this is normal for you, you still report that. Sure. We'll have a conversation. We'll know this is normal for you. Yeah. You're not having fevers. You're not having these other symptoms. Okay, we'll keep an eye on that. We're not going to just say that person goes into isolation. You know, I have asthmatic children, and I know there's times of the year where the weather changes and the cough comes. We'll work with people, um, but I do want them to also know that, you know, we need them to be upfront and honest with us. Um, and certainly I do want to be upfront that there's the potential for isolation. So on yeah. that, I will <laughs> gladly explain isolation housing. So if we had a person test positive or they were a suspect case that we really thought needed, met the criteria that we need to put them into isolation housing, obviously we'd be having a conversation with them. If we needed to get them into the health center for testing, we would make arrangements to do that and get that squared away. We ask that people stay put in their, in their room and while we coordinate transportation. So we're working with the student transportation team and campus safety. We have protocols in place so that students can be transported safely and escorted to isolation housing. Uh, currently, we have Bristol reserved for isolation housing on campus. It has 12 beds. And we've secured 30 beds off campus at a local hotel. And so you would move into that space. I am asking all people to kind of have this emergency go bag kind of ready on the waiting, just in case. And I'm asking that of all students. Things that people should put in those, those go bags are if you're taking long-term medications, you know, a good two-week supply of that. If you have snacks particular to your need or liking, set some aside. You know, if you have some extra undergarments or socks or your special comfy sweatshirt that you like when you're not feeling well or that soft, cozy blanket that you know you need, you know, keep those kinds of things ready to go. Obviously, you're going to want to grab your schoolwork and your laptop and all your chargers, and you'll be escorted to this housing for isolation the expectation for positive cases based on today's definition and always subject to change is 10 days after the first symptom or positive test that you will be remaining in that space. You're going to need to be three days fever free without the use of medications to control it. And most of your symptoms will need to be resolving or have resolved before you be, can be considered able to release. Oneida County Health Department is in charge of isolation cases, and so they will be the ultimate deciders on when people get released from isolation. I've gotten a few questions from people, and it's a good question. You know, what do I, if I'm sick, can I just go home? And the answer is not that straightforward. It's got to be a conversation between our local health department 
and your home local health department. They need to understand how you're going to get there safely with minimal exposures to other people. If your only way home is going to be a, an airplane, it's probably not likely that they're going to say, hey, get on that plane and head back home. And it's going to be communication and conversations amongst those health departments with you. So I, I'm just hoping people will be patient around that process. I understand how difficult this can be. You know, when we ask someone to go to isolation, we're asking them to stay in that room. We're asking you not to leave. We're asking you to connect with people only through social media or by phone, no in-person interaction. You know, we're delivering meals to a closed door you know, or picking up trash outside a closed door. You know, we want to be a support to people, but people need to also understand that this is a serious thing and, and that for it to work, you have to comply with these expectations. So the, the way it works is the county would be reaching out to these folks daily to just check in on them and to know how they're doing. People are asked to check their temperatures twice a day. We are also providing people in isolation a pulse oximeter that they can just pop on their finger and we can know what their oxygen levels are. We're asking them to do that twice a day also, just as a fifth vital sign. And we're, you know, we're reminding people, pick up the phone. Even if you're Zooming into a class at that time, you can mute yourself. Your professor would understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Take that call, talk to these people, and then, you know, I'm hoping that we'll have a team that can also be reaching out for more of a social aspect to make sure, are you doing okay? Are you getting your food? You know, is, are you warm enough in there? Do you have enough blankets? Are things working out okay? Are you having struggles with your professors or are you having struggles just yourself? Do you need to talk to someone? You know, we want to be a resource to connect people to the counseling center if they need it or to connect people with a case manager if they need help working some things out or connect people with whomever we need to connect them with so that they feel supported because it's really easy to feel alone in a difficult time like that. And the last thing we want is for students to feel isolated in isolation. We want them to know that we're here to support them and that we're doing this for the greater good that we understand and appreciate and their compliance with this. And so we just want to make sure that they're to help with their success through a difficult time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. We've talked a bit about contact tracing. So if you are in this situation, then you will also go through the contact tracing process. What does that look like? And what, what is a contact tracer looking for? So the way it works, when a positive case is identified, there's what's called the case investigator. And that would te technically be the county. Although People in the health center will also be reaching out to those positive cases to ask about close contacts and try to get an idea of who you've been in touch with. We can coordinate efforts efficiently and timely with the health department. So if you've been in close contact with someone, which the current definition is spending more than 10 minutes with someone in a closed space, breaking social distance, that person would be considered a close contact. And so that would mean that that person was exposed and now they need to be put into quarantine housing. We are moving people off campus to quarantine housing. We've secured hotel spaces in two different hotels so that students can be 
move there in a similar process to isolation. So we would have a conversation with you. We would ask you to get all your supplies together that you're gonna need. Campus safety and the student transportation team will work with their on-call folks to get people escorted and brought to those spaces. And the difference with quarantine is you're there for 14 days. But again, it's 14 days of meal delivery, trash pickup, daily check-ins. People are asked to stay in their room, not to leave, because this is a mandated exposure quarantine. Again, we'll be doing these check-ins so that we can connect with people, monitor their symptoms, just like isolation. They're asked to check their temperature twice a day. Um, and what I did forget to mention with isolation, and I'll bring it up now, we're providing kits, separate kits, to people in quarantine and isolation that has tissues, small amount of you know, analgesics, so acetaminophen and ibuprofen, cough drops, garbage, you know, trash containers, masks in case of a medical emergency, oral thermometers. So if we gave you one on campus, but you forgot to pack it, you got one. The only difference is pulse oximeters are only included in the isolation kits. Each kit has a reminder of the instructions, of the expectations around quarantine and isolation. We've included in there just some handouts from New York State Department of Health. You know, what does it mean about testing and what are the next steps and what are the signs and symptoms to look for? So we just think it's some important literature. You know, we've got one in there reminding you to answer the phone. So when people are calling you for those check-ins, you know, answer the phone. Make sure your, your voicemail box is accepting voicemails. Make sure that you're cleaning things out so that pe you, people are ready to leave you messages and be prompt in responding to people. We're also doing a little CDC care book that came out way back in March, but it still has some useful information early on around coronavirus. And it's on page eight that we're asking everyone to just write your temperatures down every day. So that way, when we call, you're not scrambling for it. You've got it all set and ready to go. We even give people a pen. So there's no excuse. You can just line it all up and have it ready for your check-ins and try to make life easy. And again, just like isolation, we want to be a support to people. We want to connect you with resources that you may need. And we want to you know, make sure that you're doing okay because we know it's scary and difficult. But similar to isolation, if you wanted to go home, that's also a conversation between health departments um, in order to make sure that it's safe and that they're expecting you and that monitoring can continue to happen because all efforts nationwide right now are to try to get this thing contained and tamped down for the greater good. That's good. So someone will be in contact with everybody who's in isolation or quarantine housing daily. Is that correct? That's the plan. Okay. So one of the things that you continue to say is we hope that students will, we hope that you will, and all of these plans and all of these steps require active, willing participation, right? And that includes testing protocols and showing up for your assigned testing times and participating in those as asked. And those, all of these pieces are crucial to the success of our plans. Can you talk a bit about the testing plan and what that looks like? Yes, yeah, so the testing plan, we've got a couple different prongs approaching this. Um, we're hoping that everyone can get pre-arrival testing done. You know, the goal of this is that if you're positive, 
you stay home and don't return to campus until we know it's safe for you to return. Then when students arrive on campus, we are going to have them go directly to the test site for a self-administered but observed anterior nasal swab, an easy test. And once people get through that testing process, when they get to campus, they'll get their keys to their dorm room, their welcome kits with their oral thermometers. They can go unpack, relax, and take a deep breath. Um, we are asking that everyone, when they come on campus for their initial test results, then self-quarantine in their room until their results are back. We're hoping those results will be back within 48 hours. And if you know that you're negative, we're good to go. If they're positive, obviously we have our plan in place to deal with getting those students to isolation. If they're inconclusive, we'll need to retest. And we're gonna ask that those people stay in quarantine until that retest is completed. But we have plans in place just again to try to make sure that that baseline arrival test is at a good place. And then we're planning to test twice a week for the rest of the semester. We're trying to stay ahead of the curve by testing frequently. And the only way for this to be helpful is if people are participating with it regularly. You know, if there's conflicts with when you need to do test times, we're hoping students will work that out with their professors or their conflict directly. But since students are able to kind of pick their registration times after arrival, um, we're hoping that it won't create a big hurdle or obstacle because we think that this needs to remain a, a priority for people on campus. Testing does not solve that everything. You're still going to need to, you know, physically distance. Right. You're still going to need to wear your masks. You're still going to need to wash your hands for 20 seconds with just warm soapy water. Does not need to be antibacterial soap. Any good soap will do. If you don't have soap, then just wash your hands in the water. If you don't have water, use hand sanitizer, like just stay ahead of things and you know, practice good self-care. And hopefully as we do our routine testing on campus, our responses to positive and symptomatic people on campus, our movement of people into exposure spaces on campus, trying to have all these things intertwine to build a better safety net. Life is not perfect. But if we can try to get enough overlap on our plan, we're hoping to get it as strong as we can get it to be. And it will take buy-in from everybody in the campus community for it to be effective. Absolutely, agreed. We've covered a lot of ground and I wanna be respectful of your very busy day. So I think my last question is, is there any other advice or anything else you would wanna share with our community while we're having this conversation? I think my biggest advice that I would share to all community members is I want them to really think about themselves internally, understand themselves. Do you have any underlying medical symptoms or, or chronic illnesses that could put you at higher risk for complications? Are you on any long-term medications that could affect your immune status? Do you have any kind of medical concerns that might need some kind of robust or aggressive response should you become sick. And if you're thinking that you might have these situations, I would urge these people to reach out to their treating medical provider and have an honest and open conversation. Because I wanna make sure that returning to campus 
is right for those people. And if, you know, if you have chronic medical illness and you've talked to your provider and you do plan to return to campus, I would urge those folks to have a medical action plan written up so that it could be shared with our facility and that, this, that any person could keep a copy of it on their person because you don't ever know where life's gonna take you some days. And so I think being proactive in, in a pandemic is the best we can do right now. And so I think people need to really think things out and make sure that they've got action plans in place in their mind and in reality so that they can take appropriate you know, response to any situation that might develop. Good. Would you include mental health in that as well, though the implications are different? I think mental health has to be included. I think that for some people, the thought of going into isolation and quarantine housing for extended periods of time, just the thought can be debilitating and, but, but real. I mean, and, and yeah. I, it's valid and I understand how difficult it must be for those people to make decisions about what's the right thing for them to do and what's the best thing for them to do. And so I just really hope that those people will have those conversations with their treating providers and you know maybe trusted adults because I just wanna make sure that everyone feels as comfortable as they can feel so that they, they can be safe, but they can also be supported because mm -hmm. yes, mental health it's overlooked sometimes in some of these conversations, but it's very important and it's very much impacted by coronavirus and 24 seven news and you know, world pandemic. And so, yeah, that would be something that I would want to include into those conversations. Agreed. Barb, let me thank you and your team so much for all the heavy lifting you've been doing and will continue to do. We really appreciate you. We would not be able to do this without you. Oh, thank you for the kind words, Travis. That was Barb Flutie, Director of the Health Center. Stay tuned for future episodes. This is Life on the Hill.